Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now, in our BossCast this week, we've got two for the price of one. We've got Geeta Nanda, who's the Chief Executive of Metropolitan Thames Valley Housing, and Harry Downs, who's the boss at Fizzy Living. And Geeta, there's some, some interesting news this week that you're selling your stake in Fizzy Living after 10 years of glorious build-to-rent partnership with Harry. Is that true? Can you tell us a bit about the thinking there? Well, when we set Fizzy up, we always knew this was going to be a long play and we've been around for 10 years and it's been fantastic. But when we set it up, we always knew there would be a point at which it would flourish and, and fly grow away. in uh, you know another vehicle. And we, we were there to set up a, a market-rented sector that didn't really exist. So, you know, there are points at which you have to look at it and say, can this grow better, further, elsewhere? And that's something housing associations are good at. That's amazing. Well, it's, uh, so pretty much 10 years ago, Harry Downs, 10 years ago. So to tell us about how it came to be, because I remember back at Property Week's Resi Conference, Resi Convention, 2011, you you pitching to John Hitchcock. So I remember John phoning me up afterwards. It was like, who's this young upside? He's got an idea that, that I should have had this idea. I should be doing this. And Harry's got this fantastic idea. And, and that was, obviously, John Hitchcock was one of the people you pitched to. One of the other people you pitched to was, was Geeta Nanda. Indeed. Well, it was pretty obvious back then, coming out of the big recession post-Lehman, banks had stopped lending money to speculative resi developments. And young people simply had nowhere to go. A lot of them, well, most of them still had very good jobs. They were earning money. They didn't have equity. They couldn't fund a deposit, but they needed somewhere to live. And it seemed obvious, as was obvious in Europe, North America, Scandinavia, Australia, everywhere else in the world, that a private or a, a, a institutionally funded private rental sector was the solution. And it seemed that the way to set one of those up would be to target a particular market, the young professionals who were desperate for it, to go to a potential partner who whose day job was property management, which was Gita, and to come up with a with a brand and a, and a business plan that would house these people. And ten years later, that's what we're doing. So, what what's the thinking then? Why now? Why why sell out now? What happens? Well, I think as Gita said, it was always her plan. It's been a fabulous partnership. Couldn't have done it without them, for sure. And we always knew that it was going to move on. But we've now, as I say, got a thousand flats. The market is red hot. There's loads of money looking to come in. Fizzy has a long way to go and we're loving doing it. So Fizzy will continue. And, and Geeta, when some people look at the, the housing association sector and they say, well, why aren't you just doing social housing? Why are you doing private rented housing why are you doing student housing why are you doing housing so why are you doing shared ownership what, what's the response there well we're here to house everybody and to make sure that there is good housing for everyone but the thing you have to really understand is any surplus we make goes right back into the organization it's there surplus, to then, what's a surplus a profit it means a, a, it's a profit it is the profit we make on as an organization but we don't distribute that anywhere else other than back into the organisation to support our activities for affordable housing, which has to have a subsidy. So, you know, if you make a, a profit, a surplus as an organisation, and we don't call it a profit, we call it a surplus because we don't distribute it anywhere other than back into the organisation. 
If you have a gap in funding between what you receive from the government and what your rents can pay for, that's filled by your surplus. And we need to make a surplus in order to carry on providing our affordable homes. It goes nowhere else. It doesn't leak out the organisation at all. And do you think that's something that the political establishment really understands? Because clearly you've had a shortfall, not necessarily a shortfall, but you've had your subsidies cut consistently over the years, haven't you? If you compare things back to where they were at the turn of the century, the landscape for funding is incredibly different. Yeah, I mean, we've had our grant rates cut and we had our rents cut as well. So rents were going down rather than going up by inflation, but we still had inflationary pressures. Mm. So, you know, that impacts on us in terms of what we can do and what we can provide. And we borrow against those homes. So you build a home, you can borrow against that home, the same way you can borrow against your house, you know, mm. your mortgage, if you want to do an extension. We can borrow against those properties to do more homes. And so it's a very simple model in some respects. You know, the more you build, the more you can borrow against those assets and build more homes. But at the end of the day, you also have to meet all those bank covenants and, you know, that means making that surplus in order to cover your interest costs the same way everybody who's a homeowner does. They have to be able to pay their mortgage, their interest, and we have to do the same. Mm. And when Thames Valley Housing, as it was then before the merger with Metropolitan, when Thames Valley, you sat down with, with Harry and his grand vision, clearly then it was part of this entrepreneurial vision that you had as a housing association boss to go into new territory. Did you have to do much convincing with your board and, and with your peers to do that? Or was it simply a case of, yeah, this makes sense, that's it? It's never that easy, is it? No? So we were an organisation that had already, and this was a while ago, so it wasn't that common then, done things without grant because we knew that there was pressure on, you know, subsidy from government, but we wanted to grow and continue growing as an organisation. So we'd already mm. been doing and several activities. the had a tough few years, like yeah. 2008, yeah. lots of red lights and the housing regulator, lots of, lot, you know, quite a lot of new yeah, casualties, well, we, weren't there? We, we had that whole market downturn and all organisations impacted on us as well. So we were, you know, already looking at activities without grant and, and we'd carried out several activities without grant already. So for us, it was a natural progression. We were thinking, where is the market not serving its customers? Mm. And absolutely, you know, you could see at that time, people, you know, as Harry described them, young professionals who were putting the hugest amount of their income out and getting the worst service you can imagine. There's no other industry you can think of where you think you're spending that much money and getting such a poor service. Other than if you fly regularly with British Airways. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's another, another podcast. That, there I won't comment on my, that one. My, eh? my, my former partners in crime. But yeah. but this is something that you've done consistently, haven't you, with, with So Resi, your, your shared ownership brand, and other functions within the organisation? Yeah, so we really have to think as an organisation what next? You know, how can we improve on what we do? How can we invest back in the organisation to do more? And that's what we're always thinking about. How can we do more? And, you know, what are the kinds of activities we can do, which we understand and know about? Mm. So with Fizzy, you know, when we did that, obviously, we know about management, as Harry has already said, we know about property, you know, it's something we already know about. So for us, it was a natural progression. We weren't going into leisure centres or football pitches or you know we were going into something which we knew about and yeah there had to be a leap of faith in it but we could see it we could understand it mm. we could see you know where that gap in the market was and what was needed mm. and, and Harry Downs you, you stuck to your guns really didn't you because your whole pitch 
was we're going to market to renty somethings the the people between 25 35 that would otherwise be at home with their parents or in some god awful hmo and the fizzy product has has been affordable accessible and quite fun and a bit you know a bit funky not you know not not too over the top no it was aimed to do all of those things when we started it was 30 30 30 we were looking for 30 year olds earning about 30 grand spending up to 30% of it on rent. And 10 years later, the average tenant's 31, earns a bit more, earns about 40, and spending about 27% of it on rent. Mm. So we've kept the stock affordable, and we've managed to build a personality which is fun and safe and fair. And that market positioning has also helped you underpin great tenant retention and occupancy levels. And your your average tenancy, around two years, you're more than 96% let? Yep, I mean, we're 96% let coming out of the... Um, coming out of the worst recession. Uh, out of the worst recession. When we went into it, we, we'd been running at 99% occupancy for, God, six months probably mm. before then. So that's that's all, all coming back. And, and it really underpins. And we had Helen Gordon on PropCast a couple of weeks back, and, and Helen was talking passionately about the resilience of the market, particularly in the regional areas. And, and you've experienced the same thing even in London that, that has actually seen a bit of a, an emptying out of this cohort of kids that have gone back to mummy and daddy. Uh, yeah, but they've stuck with you. The, well, I think what's important, we have a relationship with them. Every one of our buildings has a building manager. They're all called Bob, the building manager. They're all girls, but they're still called Bob. Actually, most of them are girls. But it's the sort of relationship, I think, which is really important. to have. We have a community in every building that absolutely came to the fore during the recession when people actually didn't feel lonely. They could go and mm. speak to the Bob or speak to their neighbours. We did special events for them, which were sort of distanced events. We've always been pet friendly. So at one stage, I think over 50% of our tenants had pets, had dogs on the whole, mostly dogs. So all of that really mattered. And I think it took the pandemic to prove that it was the right thing to do because we did retain so many tenants during it. Mm. And Gita, how did Metropolitan Thames Valley respond during the pandemic with its diverse range of, of customers that you have? Clearly, it's, it's a more challenging response than than with purely the fizzy cohort that are largely self, self-sufficient. self They're mostly going to be able to go and get their own shopping and, and sort themselves out. But obviously you have such a broad church of customers, some of whom will have doubtless got special needs that, that need to be supported. So how have your team got through the last 18 months and, and, and where have you had to go above and beyond? I'm really proud of the team because everybody did whatever was needed for our residents. So obviously our care and support staff were there every day, you know, throughout the pandemic going to those residents' homes and ensuring services carried on on running and didn't blink an eye about doing that. You know, they carried on throughout. A lot of our social housing tenants couldn't get food. You know, the first thing we sort of really noticed was food poverty and then fuel poverty as it came into winter. It was quite cold and it was you know, very difficult for people to get anything off the shelves. And we set up a sort of support hub where people from across the organisation who weren't able to do their kind of day-to-day job joined in. And we were contacting people, phoning people, going out, linking in with all those wonderful voluntary 
sector organisations that are very, very local as well and supporting them to support our residents through this time. So there was a real sort of partnership approach to it. And the result was, you know, huge, huge amounts of positive engagement with our residents and seeing them through one of the most difficult times. And, you know, the impact carries on. You know, there are impacts on people in terms of mental health, in terms of, you know, living on top of each other. These aren't people who have a spare room where they can work in and they've got their kids at home where they're trying to support them through yes absolutely schooling etc so you know it was a difficult time we did everything we could to try and support people through that and this support network that that you have as a, as a housing association that's in the dna of the organization isn't it many people in the private sector talk about providing care and support but actually these things aren't add-ons for housing associations they're they're part of what you do yeah do you think is there a bit of an understanding gap? Because when everyone was out on the streets applauding nurses and Deliveroo drivers, no one's really been out on the streets applauding housing associations. Is is there a bit of an understanding and appreciation gap, you think, of, of all of the extra, just the extra stuff that your employees and, and, and other people in the sector do that often just goes un unnoticed, perhaps? Yeah, I think, it is, as you said, it's the fact that it's in our DNA. It's something we... Get well, it's on key workers, do. isn't it? I mean, let's be frank. If 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 the guy chopping off your your I don't know your cat litter on your new TV for Amazon is is a key worker, surely people that are helping those in need through dark times they should be recognised too as as being key workers. Absolutely. Surely. I mean, we had, as I said, you know, most of the people in our organisation were out working, whether they were the maintenance operatives, making sure that people still had repairs undertaken, whether they were you know, cleaners, whether they were housing support officers or officers, you know, housing staff out there, you know, making sure that people were supported all the way through. And that's why I said at the beginning, I'm really proud of them because nobody questioned it. Everybody got on and did it. Mm. And Harry Downs, tell us about what you learned. What were some of the biggest learnings that you came away from in terms of working with Geeta and her team early doors? As I you were think building that up? the job of managing a property of collecting the rent, of making sure it all works and paying the bills is really, they just do that. That just happens. And I learned that, that you know, that they had systems in place that Pretty did all of that. And it, but it just really worked well. Well, the, the bit that we did was, was really the fluff on the top. But more than that, and I think what brought in the institution was the governance, you know, the absolute depth of knowledge of the industry and the fact that every box was ticked. And those were boxes that I didn't even know existed when I joined. But you you know know, about them now, though, don't you? I sure do now. I sure (laughs) do now. And I've learned a huge amount from them during that that 10 years. And Gita, we talk a lot on on the PropCast about institutional investment, housing, institutional investment now in in life sciences and and other areas of the commercial real estate market that listeners uh, to this podcast readers of property week uh, will, will be familiar with but in, in the housing association world institutions and private equity that they're, they're dirty words dirty phrases aren't they a little bit when you think about things in terms of the bigger picture housing associations were and are the original the original institutional residential asset class 
in some respects. Yeah. Well, in, in all respects, because you, you, were, you, know, you were the first people that attracted institutional money into rented housing. Yeah, I mean, um, the fact is we're long-term players, you know, very long-term players. We're there, you know, we've been around since the 50s as an organisation and many housing associations have been around for, for longer than that. And this is the thing, right, because shock horror, look, everybody says that. Everyone sits here and says, oh, we're long-term investors of this, but actually what they really mean is we're, we're here until we can sell it for a better price. Whereas actually... <laughs> we, we don't, but, you know, we go to the capital markets to raise money. We've raised... Mm. So you've just raised a £250 million green bond. We have, and... You know, we've got a, a whole sustainability strategy. We've got a framework by which we operate mm. within that. We've got a lot of assets we're building and we're managing. And therefore, you know, we need to make sure we have a proper strategy around mm. our so, so talk us through. Well. So, so what's a green bond? Some people will look at that and go, that sounds like marketing fluff. What, what is a green bond? No, when we went out to raise our 250 million bond, we were encouraging in green investors to look at us as an organisation. And we've got a writ of old accreditation. It's sort of German-based, but there's a whole framework there by which you have to sort of fulfil criteria to show your ESG credentials. And housing associations have got great social credentials. You know, a lot of people talk about the environmental, but we also have great social and governance credentials. And you know, we have a Which whole... comes back to this this universe of pastoral care that we were just talking about, this ability to, to go beyond just simply providing a roof and some walls. But we also measure it, you know, so we have got a tool which is kind of highly recognised around mm. the social value. And if you think about, you know, the suppliers that we work with and the maintenance we do and how we keep people out of hospital mm. and, you know, all of those investments we can measure up. And ours is, comes to over 713 million a year is our social investment and, and these per things year, have, And the, year. those are very clear outcomes because I guess a lot of the, I remember last, was it last year when when there was, a, there was that big row about all of these supposed ESG funds that had ploughed money into Boohoo, the online fashion round known for, uh, for, for not necessarily having totally kosher labor practices i won't say more than that but that was essentially what was reported at the time and, and everybody said well hang on why are all these esg funds playing money into an online fashion business selling 12 pound jeans it doesn't make any bloody sense does it so i think this ability for essentially our impact investors to be able to say look if we plow 250 million pounds into a housing association providing debt we can then absolutely benchmark that performance in costs saved to the NHS, in improvements to life, enhancements to people's social mobility. And, and those are all presumably data sets that your number crunchers can report. Yeah, that's right. So as well as the sort of environmental, which I think is quite clear and lots of people are looking at, the social credentials are huge, you know, and in our accreditation, we kind of got the top rating for the social credentials. Mm. And that's something that the property industry really struggles with. I mean, the E stuff is, it's not easy, but you can at least, this is my EPC rating, this is my BRIAM rating, this building is green, it doesn't leak loads of heat, it's, it's good or bad. But a safe and secure and warm and dry home is an amazing base for everybody and you know what comes from that is mm. as i said you know these societal savings that there are but it's also around the benefits and they're really important to measure so we're not just sitting there soft and fluffy doing this but we do have very hard measures around people we're getting into employment savings we're making to the health service and police services mm. as well so you know there are very set criteria against which we're measuring ourselves to show our value and our societal value mm. and harry there's probably quite a lot isn't there from that that the wider 
universe of institutional investors in, in the wider real estate world could probably learn from what Geeta's just described in being able to, to look at those real tangible outcomes as everybody now enters into this phase of being obsessed by ESG. Oh, I quite agree. And uh, I mean, before, earlier in my career, I was working in private development. And that was purely about sticking up a building, maximising the money and moving on and doing it again. Mm. So all of this extra work, all of the good works that are being done are massively important. And yeah, it would be wonderful if they did spread further and wider in the industry. I mean, the other opportunity, I, I guess, is looking at uh, how we we look at using technology better to to map some of these outcomes, but let's go back a second. You talked about your development pipeline, and you've got a pretty ambitious five year strategy that that you've recently announced, and that's got some that's got some pretty big ambitions in it. Tell us a little bit about that. What can people expect from your five year plan? Well, we've got huge ambitions not only for building new homes, but also for the investment we're going to put into our existing homes. I mean, let's be clear, we have a very, as I said, we've been around since the 50s and, you know, some of our stock is very old. Some of our stock is very... Well, some of it, carbon- you've inherited a lot of it, haven't you? So, I mean, that's the thing is that the, the, the whilst you've had a development pipeline under your leadership and obviously Fizzy's had its own development pipeline, a lot of the stuff that you and many housing associations now have to contend with, is legacy kits that you've inherited, merged with, yeah, or a lot given of it, over the years. Yeah, much of it has been local authority stock that's been transferred over. And the reason it was transferred over was because local authorities didn't have the money to bring it up to standard. And that's the um, thing, because you will then get bashed around the head for underinvestment and poor management. And actually, it's not really your fault, is it? Because you, you've been past the parcel so to speak well we have a lot of stock which does need investment in it and that's right i mean you know street properties they're great for families to live in but you know sometimes they're drafty mm. and need improvements so but that's we've why got but that, and that's that's and that's the context in which this this sale of of your staking fees is actually quite important because the proceeds from that are going to clearly part fund some of this 2.1 billion strategy of which you've said about 715 million is earmarked for property maintenance. Yeah, we have a, a huge investment in our property. And as I said before, all that surplus goes back into either our existing homes or building new homes. And we've got, you know, great ambitions. We're still looking to build around 1,500 homes a year. And, you know, 70% of that is affordable. So that's a really important position for us. Exciting next few years. So, Harry, what do you make of the wider build to rent market? You were there at the beginning, setting up Fizzy, and clearly there have been many, many folk that have come in over the years and expanded the sector to where it is now. And I remember when we when we were discussing that that big report that we authored in what 2015, and there was that big debate, big email debate between me and and a number of the agents and, and you guys and, and other people around, what's the size of the market going to be? And it was, it was a bit of a toing and throwing of Andrew Stanford had one view, Savills had mm. one view, Knight Frank had another, and I think we settled on 30 billion was the size of the market. And it's obviously surpassed that in some respect of the money that's flooded in over the last few years. But when you reflect on the market now, what are some of your views about where it's come from to where it's going? Well, 
I think that we, we set up our, our little bit of the market, you know, looking after our young professionals, the renting somethings. That's the bit that we wanted to go for because we thought that was very sustainable. If the property market's a pyramid, that was, you know, the low fat bit. And um, we thought that was the way to go. And so we got to know that market. We got to know those tenants. We got to know what they needed, what they wanted, what they were happy to pay for, but equally what they didn't want to pay for. And as a result, our buildings are all quite similar. They're all in town centres. They're all, you know, two-minute walk from the pub, the gym, the, the cinemas, the restaurants. There's always a tube station out of the corner of your eye. So that's what we went for. And I absolutely respect the people who have built much higher amenity buildings with swimming pools and all that sort of thing. Our buildings are great. They've got what they've got. Every flat has a balcony. Some of the balconies are really big. We've got roof terraces. We've got gardens. We've got all of the bits that people actually need, but we haven't got the bits that they might use sometimes because that's what adds to the rent. You've got to pay for it. And if you've got a gym, it costs a fortune to equip a gym. It costs a fortune to run it, clean it, make sure all the machines are safe and, and sound. But if we've got a gym next door, we don't need to pay for that, which means we can keep the rent where we are, which you know means that we can hit that 30% of income maximum and it make it all, all work that way. So I think that as far as the market is concerned, those other pieces are there and that's fine. And I hope we're all sustainable. But what I think has absolutely come out over the last 10 years is there was always the argument when I set up and the, the one thing that people, everyone was saying to me, and I don't think you did, Keita, but I think most other people did, was an Englishman owns his castle, he doesn't want to rent it, he wants to own it. And that's what everyone was saying. And I thought, well, you know, that's great if you can, but if you can't, let's have a good alternative. And what we tried to do was to put together that alternative. But in that period, interest rates have been rock bottom. So, you know, mortgages have been very affordable. And everyone says, oh, well, you're much better off to own because, you know, mortgage rates are so low and rent's higher than the mortgage rate. But what people never think of is mortgage is just one of the things you pay when you own a flat or a house. You've got your service charge. You've got you know, all of these other bits and pieces. You've got, you know, you buy it, you've got to pay stamp duty. Mm. You've got to insure it. You've got to clean it. You've got all of those things you have to pay for on top of the mortgage. So if you rent something, you pay the rent. And you've paid a couple of hundred quid admin fee when you sign up. That's yeah. all you pay. Mm. And if two people have got 30 grand, let's say, and one puts it into deposit on a flat and the other puts it in the stock market. If you do the arithmetic on it, if you own that flat for five years, then sell it and cash out and pay off, you know, all of your mortgage and all that sort of thing. The tenant is way ahead financially. So the argument that financially you're better off if the market's it depends going, what stock you buy if you bought zoom you've probably done all right if you bought carnival cruises perhaps there, not, but. there is always that and there's always you might have bought a dodgy building as well which has cost you a load mm. so there, there's always i'm just talking you know typical but yeah, the point yeah, is that renting is no longer for your poor cousin it's, well, that's it's it, no yeah. longer you, you've certainly it, you've certainly done that and and, and achieved that that step change in how people don't see it now purely as the sector of last resort. Hmm. But just, Gita, just, just, as, just as we close off, what will your offer for, for private renters look like when, when you've said goodbye to Harry? Well, we think there's a great market there now. 
for private renters, then that's not going to be our focus as an organisation. It was set up when there wasn't that offer, but that offer exists now. So yeah, for us, we will focus on the affordable market. We will also have our commercial ventures and I'm sure you'll hear more about some of those in the future, which will be there to subsidise and help us with our subsidy gap to keep doing affordable housing. Mm. And Harry, just final piece of advice then for people looking at coming into the market is there's a variety of companies looking at coming in and setting up management platforms and investing. What's the best piece of advice you could give any new entrant looking at this market? Um, well, two things, actually. One is really understand your customer. I think that that's that's the top piece. And the other thing that we've always done is every customer-facing job has been done by a fizzy employee. We don't outsource any of that. And that's the only way, I think, that you can really control the service that you're giving. And um, that's something that we would absolutely stand by. Well, wise words there from Harry Downs. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Geeta. Fantastic to have a twin-headed Hydra Bosscast episode and uh, be fascinating to see how these talks continue. And um, amazing seeing Fizzy evolve over all these years and, and also seeing some of the, the real positive, progressive thinking from housing associations that often don't really get the credit for a lot of this work that goes on, a lot of the support that they provide, a lot of the key workers battling away under under quite tough conditions. So thank you again, Harry Downs, Fizzy Living, Geeta Nanda from Metropolitan Thames Valley. Please do head to Spotify, Apple, search Propcast, do subscribe, do leave a review. If you've loved this, if you've hated it, send us some love, send us some abuse, whichever you find more appropriate. Please do uh, subscribe. And, and also don't forget to get your tickets for this year's Resi Convention. Um, thank you to Howard Martin, our engineer and producer. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Thank you very much for listening to Propcast and we'll see you again soon.